Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We know that as uh, we read your word together, as we uh, look to its meaning, that your Holy Spirit speaks to us and brings us truth. And we pray that that's exactly what would happen this morning, that you would bring your living truth to us, that we would hear more about Jesus, that we would understand more of who we are and that you would give us uh, the freedom uh, it is to live in all of the fullness that you have given us as a free gift. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're continuing through Romans and we're up to Romans 11 verse 11. And uh, we're going to, um, yeah, uh, I'm gonna, we're going to do this whole chapter and uh, finish off. Um, so starting at verse 11. Again I ask, did they, and that's Israel, stumble so far as to fall beyond recovery? Not at all. Rather, because of their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make Israel envious. But if their transgression means riches for the world and their loss means riches for the Gentiles, how much greater riches will their full inclusion bring? I'm talking to you Gentiles. Inasmuch as I'm an apostle to the Gentiles, I take pride in my ministry in the hope that I may somehow arouse my own people to envy and save some of them. For if their rejection brought reconciliation to the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? If part of the dough is offered as first fruit and that's holy, then the whole batch is holy. If the root is holy, so are the branches. If some of the branches have been broken off and you... Though a wild olive shoot have been grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing sap from the olive root, do you not consider yourself to be superior to those other branches? Oh, sorry, do not consider yourself to be superior to those other branches. If you do consider this, if you do consider this, you do not support the root, but the root supports you. You will say then, branches were broken off so that I could be grafted in. Granted. But they were broken off because of unbelief, and you stand by faith. Do not be arrogant, but tremble. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he will not spare you either. Consider, therefore, the kindness and sternness of God. Sternness to those who fell, but kindness to you, provided you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you also will be cut off. And if they do not persist in unbelief, they will be grafted in, for God is able to graft them in again. After all, if you are cut off of an olive tree that is wild by nature and contrary to nature were grafted into a cultivated olive tree, how much more readily will these, the natural branches, be grafted into their own olive tree? Okay. Paul is, is talking about Israel, and Israel is this uh, olive tree that God bears fruit through. But he's saying that um, uh, through disbelief, some branches were broken off of the olive tree and we, the Gentiles, have been grafted on in their place. But don't get too sure of yourself. Don't uh, presume on God's grace because um, he is kind, but he is stern. Don't fall into the trap of leaving behind his kindness. Now, um, we've been talking about uh, God's sovereignty 
we've been talking about his sovereign choice of people and we've been talking about his incredible grace. And what we're doing today is looking at this passage and, and just making some statements about what it means for us. And, it, and starting with this, being saved and chosen by God means this. We have humility, not pride. Okay? If he's the one who saves, then there can be no pride, can there? We can't say, have a look at how good I am. We are humbled because he saved us when we couldn't save ourselves and he saved us when we wouldn't save ourselves. If we think any other way than that, then we will naturally think we're better than other people. If we think we're saved by his grace, we will see ourselves as equal with all other people. If we see that there's something in us which has earned that grace, obviously we will be better than other people. Does that make sense? Even if we were brought up by parents who taught us the message of Jesus, we were still only saved by God's grace. It's not that that gave us a, a, a kick up, we were better off, we were, we were more deserving. Actually, everybody is saved by God's choice, by Jesus' work, by the revelation and enabling of the Holy Spirit, and that causes us to be humble. And that causes us to love and care for others in a, in a flat way, not looking down at other people. It causes us to love and care for those stuck in sin because we get where they are. That's where we were without the grace of God. To put it simply, if you think you're, that being a Christian makes you better than any other person, now I want you to think of any person you think you might be better than, if you think that's the way it is, then you're leaving behind God's kindness and his grace. Do you understand that? Because what you're thinking is that you've somehow earned or deserved God. God didn't choose us because we loved him. He, choose, he chose us so he could love us. Okay. To show us the depths of his grace and love. If he didn't choose us, we wouldn't have the capability to love him. And this gives us humility before God and before other people. This, the next part is that makes us truly thankful, doesn't it? Thank you for this incredible gift that you've given me. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for ruling. Thank you for righteousness. Thank you for everything. Everything we have, every blessing comes from God. They're gifts. You think about some of the Psalms. You know that one, I think it's Psalm 136 maybe. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. Give thanks to the King of kings. His love endures forever. Give thanks for the Lord, to the Lord of lords. His love and it keeps going on. His love endures forever. Give thanks to God. Give thanks to God. We can give thanks to God for everything because we know everything we have is a gift. And it's good. And that will cause, cause us to live with, a, with a, a zeal towards God. We'll actually live lives where we're, we, we're alive to God. We're passionate about, I mean, everybody is passionate about the greatest thing in their life. Okay? If you talk to you know, the young man who's fallen in love with the perfect girl, he's very passionate about the greatest thing in his life. 
He might not talk about her all the time, but he's always thinking about her. <laughs> yep. Yep. And we, if God is the greatest thing, if everything he, we have comes from him, he would be the greatest thing in our life. We will be most passionate and zealous about him. He will be our object of worship. He will be dominant in our words, in our actions, in our thoughts. He will be what we speak about. He is the one person who's to be glorified above all else. Do you understand? Because we know that he in his grace has saved us and his, his pure love for us, he will always be in our hearts and minds. Does that make sense? So we'll always be zealous. Another psalm of David says this, Psalm 86 verse 8, Among the gods there is none like you. Lord, no deeds can compare with yours. All the nations you have made will come and worship before you, Lord. They will bring glory to your name. For you are great and do marvellous things. You alone are God. That's actually a statement in scripture right throughout. You alone are God. The grace of God causes us to come to this place where we say, you alone are worthy. You alone are glorious. If you think like this, you will actually remain zealous for, the, for God. And also, it stops us from being zealous or passionate about ourselves. It's his glory. It's not our glory. His will, not our will. His name, not our name. His fame, not our fame. His legacy, not our legacy. Him first, not me first. That's what the thankfulness that flows from grace creates in us. Now, Paul has that warning. He says, you've been grafted in by God. Don't presume on that grace. Now, uh, don't see it so much up here, but in South Australia, where there's a lot of uh, kind of fruit trees because there's no fruit fly, we see a, a lot more grafting. And, and Jody's grandpa was very good at grafting. And if he, he had like an apple tree, but he'd grafted on branches where you had pears. And then he had an apricot tree, which also had branches which produced peaches and plums. Right? All on one tree. It's, uh, and he used to do this fancy little cut down and he'd get a branch off and shove it in. He's very good at it. And uh, that's the image that Paul's using. You, you were off a wild tree. You didn't produce any fruit and, and he's come and he's grafted you on to this tree and now you're producing the good fruit which is coming from the sap, which is coming from the root and, and the root is Israel and the root is Jesus who came from Israel. So everything you're, you're getting is from them. Don't despise the root. And don't imagine for a minute that now that you're grafted on, you deserve to be there. Because everything we have is a gift of God. Because sometimes we really look, I say Israel because he's talking about Israel. And we look down on the Israelites, don't we? They come through the Red Sea and, we, and think, wow, that's incredible. And then they worship a gold calf immediately and call it their God. And you think, how could they do that? And why do they complain so much when God's given us everything? What we actually should do when we hear about that is go, yeah, yep, that's my people. <laughs> that's what we're like, isn't it? Are we? <laughs> no one here complains, do they? To God? Yeah. 
no one, act, no one uh, worships something they shouldn't. We look at Israel and we go, that's our people. That's us. We're grafted into their tree and it's the work of Jesus. And so therefore, we don't presume on his grace. We don't presume that, that the part of the righteousness we have before God is our own. It, it doesn't come from ourselves. He says there in verse 22, Consider therefore the kindness and the sternness of God. In the old, I think some of the older versions had consider the, the, the kindness and the severity of God. Sternness to those who fell, but kindness to you, provided you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you also will be cut off. So he's saying, remain in his kindness, remain living and knowing that it's his kindness, his grace, his mercy, his love, his gift of righteousness, that it's that that's placed you in God's family. Remember that. But he's also saying this, remain in his sternness, in his severity, in his wrath, in his holiness. Remember his justice. Remember his judgments. In other words, remain in the fear of God. Fear of God is the beginning of all knowledge and the beginning of all wisdom. In other words, yes, we know it's all by his grace, but we know that he is the holy God and we never forget that. If we become proud, well, then you'll think of yourselves as deserving to be there. And then he says, you're in danger. The same one who grafted you on, because if you, you see, sometimes you can graft a branch on to a tree and it produces no fruit. So what do you do with that one? You cut it off and you put a new one in. Yep. So remain in the grace of God. Remain connected to the grace of God and remain in the fear of God. And what that will do in us, it will change us to be people who will serve. Yep. We will serve others. Because without grace, thinking that you're better than other people, you'll think that life and the church is about serving us. It's about giving, giving to us. But by grace, when you live by grace and you know you're saved by grace, then life is actually about serving others in humility because you know you're not better than anyone else. You love grace and therefore, in a sense, you become grace. You become like God or like Jesus, the King of all, who rode in humble and on a donkey, not on a stallion. Yep, so you become like him who lowered himself to become a servant. If you live under grace, actually, and, and I want you to think about this, if you live under grace, then there's no act of service that's too demeaning for you. Anything is, you understand? If you, you know when you're not under grace, when you think, I'm above this. That's not my purpose. That's not my job to do this. But under grace, there's nothing too demeaning, nothing too low for us. We are capable of truly serving and of giving generously and not minding what we've given. It means that under grace, we can die to our own dreams and our own plans and our own desires and we can give to others. We can serve. So Philippians 2 
Is there any encouragement from following Christ? Any comfort from his love? Any fellowship together in the spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another and working together with one mind and purpose. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others is better than yourself. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. Being made in human likeness and being found in the appearance of a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Can you see what I'm saying? This is our God and when we're close to him and we live in his kindness and grace and also under the fear of God, we will become like Jesus in humility. And that will, call, that will work out. I don't, do you, how many of you have seen the play or the musical or the movie Les Miserables? Have you, you seen that one? Do you like it? Yeah. People like it? Good story. Okay, good. The story basically is of an undeserving criminal who gets out of jail and then he, and then he stays with a, a, a minister or a priest or something like that because and, uh, and, and, uh, he's not allowed to stay anywhere, he's an outcast. And then in the night he steals the silverware from the minister and he shoots through. The police catch him and take him back and say, you know, they see, you see you've stolen all this stuff. And uh, is it a minister or a priest? Or is it? priest. It's a priest. Sorry, I'll get that right. And the priest says, oh, no, no, no. He didn't steal that. I gave it to him. And here, you left some behind. Take some more with you. And, and you think, well, that's just wrong, <laughs> you know. But he gives everything to him. And that bloke is so changed. He never sells the silverware. He keeps it with him, doesn't he? And he spends the rest of his life doing what? Serving others. Because of the grace shown to him, he's gripped by grace. He knows that there was nothing at all deserving in him. Then his whole life is given to others. Uh, and there's a little bit about the law on the way. The law has to die and blah, blah, blah. But we'll, that's, I'm just picking out the, the bit of the story. But what I'm saying is this. We will become those people when we realise we have nothing and everything's given to us. We will become people who serve and are humble and who give. But while we're in the place where we think it's not of grace, that it's deserved, we will actually become people who rule over others, who are mean, who are selfish and self-centred. In the name of God. Okay. I'm just going to finish off this passage because we're finishing it and I'll, I'll try and be quick here. But he says in verse 25, I do not want you to be ignorant of this mystery, brothers and sisters, so that you may not be conceited. Israel has experienced a hardening in part until the full number of the Gentiles has come in and in this way all of Israel will be saved. And it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will turn godlessness away from Jacob and this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. Now, he's really saying that don't write off Israel because God, I haven't forgotten them yet. 
there's going, to be re- there's going to be a revival of the people of God, the Jews in this world, when the full number of Gentiles come in. In other words, part of God's plan is the, to bring that back. What that looks like and how that fits in history, we don't know, but it's going to happen because God does not forget his promises to his people. Verse 28, as far as the gospel is concerned, they are enemies for your sake, but as far as election is concerned, they are loved on account of the patriarchs. In other words, on account of the promises God has made, he still loves his people. For God's gift and his calls are irrevocable. If he makes a call and he makes a gift, it's going to happen. You can't change that. Just as you who are at one time disobedient to God have now received mercy as a result of their disobedience, so they too now have become disobedient in order that they may too now receive mercy as a result of God's mercy to you. In other words, oh, well, I've read the last bit. For God has bound everyone over to disobedience that he may have mercy on them all. He's saying that the Jews who didn't think they needed mercy because they thought they had deserved as God's people have been forced by what's happening happened to know that they need mercy the same. So God's bringing about his proof that everybody is saved by grace. And what he says in verse 32, for God bound everyone over to disobedience, which means the Greek says something like God imprisoned people to disobedience. God allowed people in the the way Romans describes it to have freedom of choice. And in that freedom of choice, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And he's given them over to that sin and they're under his wrath and he's hardened them. They're all imprisoned in disobedience. They're all slaves to sin. And therefore he can have mercy and we can know that our only possible escape from prison is mercy. God's plan for mercy is shown to the Gentiles, to the Jews, through his plans in history. And it's all to the praise of his glorious grace. It's all about his mercy. It's all about what his, his display of love for his family. All of this can be seen in God's sovereignty, his plan and purpose, his grace and love, which is all of our lives. And then Paul finishes with this incredible statement of God's majesty. It's, it's worth reading again and again. It's uh, chapter 11, verse 33. He says this. Oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counsellor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. I was talking to Ned Jones and he said, that passage sums up everything the Christians have done for God. (laughs) Nothing. (laughs) Yes, yep, it's just true. Praise God for his sovereignty. We may not understand it, but it's good. God is everything and everything we have is received as a gift from him and his mind and his judgment and his wisdom are beyond comprehension 
And yet we know above all else that he is perfect, he's good, he's righteous, he is just, he is holy, he is above us. And all glory belongs to him. And if we live in light of that final, what they call a doxology or a glorification of God, if we live in light of that, we will live humble, peaceful, simple lives where God's first, where we, where we live loving other people who are in need, loving other people who are sinners, because we see and know that everybody is the same as us. All glory be to God forever. Let's pray. Father, we just want to confess again that all glory and honour is yours. And Father, we want to thank you that you have given us everything. And nothing we have has not come as a gift from you. We're undeserving and yet you've loved us. And so we thank you. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your plan. We thank you for sending Jesus and we thank you for giving us your Holy Spirit. And we pray that your Holy Spirit would enable us and empower us to live lives which are of your grace and are of your love and are of your mercy, that we would show this world and display to this world your grace through our thoughts and our words and our actions, that we might live in your image. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.